Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Simon Evans. Joining me tonight are our Headliners Stort, Diane Spencer, and the Headliners Virgin, Francis Foster. I say virgin, it's a slightly old fashioned term for it, isn't it? But uh, well, uh, thank what you for like calling me Greenhorn. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you've made the grade. Anyway, very nice to have you in. Have you been following the show for the last six months? Uh, no, no, of course I have. I've been very much enjoying it, Simon, and I'm looking forward to giving my own take on the news and everything that's happening. Yeah, you understand your responsibilities. Yes. Some basically uh, a five-line limerick on every story before <laughs> you begin. And if you could give us some sort of mime or sort of performative, you know, bit of interpretive dance or something like that just to break things up, otherwise we find the hour doesn't go past. Very <laughs> Diane, I'm afraid, has cornered the uh, the tableau form. Very yeah. Much yeah. Own. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'll be bringing out some ribbons later. We'll have ribbons <laughs> and also, and I think some Commedia dell'arte masks. That would be very nice. To be honest, mm. I think a few masks actually really would do us. They would cut a, a, a lot of the gaff, wouldn't it, from <laughs> what we have to come out with. Anyway... We will have a quick look at the front pages now. We start with the Daily Mail. Uh, they want to know where have our GPs gone? Uh, my guess would be the golf course, but they have more <laughs> detail on that, I expect. The Daily Telegraph, Johnson says Ukraine is ready for its finest hour. And there's a photograph there of Ronnie O'Sullivan, who has won yet another World Championship snooker final. You keep thinking you've seen the last of him, but no. Uh, the Independent have Ukrainian refugees forced into overcrowded homes. That doesn't sound like the worst thing that's happened to them lately, but mm. anyway, that's nevertheless the story they're going with. And there's an example of one of those on the front there holding a shoe. Uh, the Guardian has Patel faces mass... Uh, Patel, yes, Patel faces mass legal action from Ukrainians stuck in visa backlog. Um, there's a photograph there which might briefly appear to uh, illustrate that story, but in fact... It's a liftoff for City's Eid celebrations, the, uh, the end of the month of fasting. I think it's that. Gosh, I'd better make sure I'm brushed up on my uh, Muslim calendar. Uh, <laughs> the Financial Times, the biggest story. It's always hard to tell quite what they're going with as such, but the main headline there on a story on a page full of copy is Johnson enlisted for last-ditch bid to wrestle arm into London listing. Wrestle arm, get it? Uh, phone of Spanish PM Sanchez hacked in first use of Pegasus on a serving leader. I could have sworn they used it on Johnson a couple of weeks ago. Never mind, perhaps it's in the detail. The Mirror says that Maddie Prime suspect is a danger to society. Can't believe Maddie is still rumbling on after all these years. And in the Mirror, too, who were never quite her keeper of her flame, and the Queen's Guard intruder blunder. The Times has uh, that same photograph of, uh, of uh, people celebrating the start of Eid. I think Eid. it's pronounced Eid. Eid, is it? Sorry, Eid mm. Al-Fit at Small Heath Park in Birmingham and rising inflation to blow £7,000 hole in pensions. 
Gold-plated schemes will not keep pace as cost of living surges. The Daily Express has Boris's right to buy plan is vote winner and Ronnie Rockets to seventh world title areas. And finally, as ever, the Daily Star throws us a bit of a curveball. We're med for it. Forget passport delay woes. Britain is set to be hotter than Crete, Ibiza and Saint-Tropez. 23 degrees centigrade. Well, it'll do for the spring. So those are our headlines. Stay with us and we will dive into them in some depth. So our top story we have arbitrarily decided is from Tuesday's Express, and this is Boris Johnson. Finally, a recognisably conservative initiative, increase home ownership, Francis. Well, it, it is a recognisably conservative policy because there are echoes of uh, Margaret Thatcher with the right to buy, etc., etc. And what Johnson is doing, he wants to give uh, the right of up to 2.5 million tenants to give them the right to buy they, the homes that they rent from their housing associations. Now, of course, you think that sounds great, and I do as well. I think that it gives people an incentive to get on the property ladder. This can only be a positive thing. But the problem comes, Simon, if you're not replacing the housing stock. Mm. That's what causes a crisis. And at yeah. the moment, we're not replacing the stock in anywhere near the numbers that we need. And so what you're doing, in my opinion, is just perpetuating the housing crisis. Perpetuating it yeah. or, or failing to solve it. Failing to solve it and yeah. worsening it. Yeah, worsening it, actually worsening it. Yes, you are. Would you not say that if you're increasing the number of people who are buying houses, then that is putting some capital possibly into the housing associations who might then be able to bring further property into their remit? But the problem comes is that a lot of these housing associations, actually, they can't build because of prohibitive legislation, right. but also because of corruption in the market, whereby the housing... Uh, the pro we actually, on my podcast, we actually interviewed Liam Halligan, right. who works on the show, and he was talking about it, and that a lot of these big property companies, they control a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of the ground and a lot of the land, meaning that... But houses can't be built, flats can't be built. Mm. So unless we actually find a way to get new property built, I think this is, this is just going to be a surface level solution. What do you think, Diane? Well, I think it's very nice that you could have the opportunity to actually buy your house and then put up your own horrendous wallpaper, <laughs> which is always a positive. You move away from blue tax and into raw plugs. That's the major sort of life change. That it is, isn't it? Isn't Wait, it? Yeah. Or when you go, do you know what? I'm fed up of white walls. I actually yeah. want to have a wall with some colour for once in my life. Um, and but... also become obsessively interested in the property market as, yeah. as a source of your possible pension. Yeah. But suddenly you have a whole new thing to talk about, you know, with parents and other people and, and people who already talk about this you kind of thing. You start noticing when kids are mucking about outside the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But seriously, I mean, just in terms of what Francis says, we are all in recognition that young people in particular are really struggling now. I mean, it's mm. never been easy, you know, yeah. certainly in my yeah. life, to have to get onto the property market, certainly not, let's say, since the, this century. Mm. But uh, it is in an absurd state now. Is this actually going to do anything about it, do you think? What's your gut feeling? Well, my gut feeling is that I think it will help some people, mm. and I think some people will benefit from it, And yeah. uh, but obviously whenever you have something like this, people take advantage of it. And I just hope that if they do bring this in, mm. there are... There are some robust rules to stop people Just from... Just it off. Yeah, 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 you got it. Flipping it. Yeah. I remember several people I knew who had uh, 
rent books, as they call it. You know, if mm. you had a council property and they weren't really entitled to them, the rent book had been passed on a couple of times since <laughs> the last time they checked oh, who was living there. Managed to buy the place and then, and then flip it and make quite substantial profit very quickly. And it does make you feel a bit cynical about the whole thing. But obviously you're right, Francis, there needs... Well, I say obviously, but I, I concur anyway. We need mm. to build more properties. The trouble is, I do think if the market is really allowed to work mm. and allowed to, you know, work its magic, its Adam Smith invisible hand magic, what should happen is that London property prices would put people off from living in London and seeking what they believe to be, you know, the best jobs... Places like Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, so on, where property prices are a little bit lower, but they still have the size of the infrastructure, the city, the population to support big businesses. And they could move there and say to people, you know, come here and work here and you won't have to spend all your money on rent and so on. It would be quite an effective way of levelling up, which seems to be one of the major sort of policy initiatives of the government anyway. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. if you start, if you just try and encourage, if you try and smooth out those differentials, actually you're just perpetuating yet another problem. If you start building on the green belt, you know, that land, I think is somewhere now between <laughs> Watford and Hemel Hebesid or something, but, you know, there are supposedly sort of uh, protected uh, fields, mm. that, you know, uh, one or two cows still, <laughs> still wander around on potentially billion pounds worth of, of real estate. What do you, I don't know. I think the market can actually solve this if it was left to its own devices. Simon, I'm in complete agree with, agreement with you. And I actually do think the market can solve this. But the problem is, is that the market is not being allowed to solve this. Exactly right. And, and when that happens, what you... What happens is that you have a population which is continuing to grow. You have more and more people coming to this country. Therefore, the demand for housing is going up. But if you're not building, you're not solving it. Maybe we could uh, kill, kill two birds with one stone if we built a false shore about five miles short of Dover. Yeah. And uh, those people who demand housing would think they'd made it and yeah. they would all move into the new houses and that would be sorted. Yeah. And then gradually, well, if, if the Dutch can do it, we can. Yeah. Francis, I think we also come to you for... Uh, this is a little bit of a cock-up in, in terms of the order, mm. but who has prepared... You have prepared the latest for Mariupol, is that you? Yes, yeah, so yeah. this is a story coming from Mariupol and it's... Uh, I mean... The thing with these types of stories is that a lot of the time you hear the numbers coming from the war in Ukraine mm. and it has a desensitizing effect on you because they're just numbers. Mm -hmm. But occasionally you read stories and they, and, they really got, and they really cut through to you. And this was one that did it with me. And this is a group of civilians who were evacuated from the Mariupol steelworks, but hundreds are still trapped there. So obviously uh, Mariupol is currently under siege in its terrible, terrible scenes. And there are hundreds of people who are trapped under the steelworks. They went there for refuge, and now they're physically trapped. So can I... Are these um, industrial, like, caverns that have been built that yes. are part of the... Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. Right. And they're Stalin-era tunnels and bunkers specifically built right. uh, to withstand attack. Right. So it's marvellous that uh, yeah. Putin is being stymied by something that his icon, yeah. Stalin, yeah, built. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And... They've actually, there's a, there's the first group of civilians have actually been managed to escape and they've been led to safety, but there are still hundreds of people trapped there, yeah. including bodies as well of people. And it's an awful, awful, awful They've opened situation. out a bit of a corridor now. I yes. Think, is that right? Yeah. They're yeah. starting to see some sort of breakthrough, some sort of uh, the logjam is starting to clear. Yeah, so hopefully yes. over the coming days and weeks, we're going to see more and more people be evacuated from it. But these people have been trapped there for weeks. It's an awful story. Mm. Mm.
Anything to add to that, Diane? Uh, you no. You want to announce your own uh, personal emotional state. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't let Francis get away with getting his... He's got his nose ahead of you now. <laughs> That's People fine. People always have their doubts about you as a little bit of a slight bit of a Cruella. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I do come across as very cold <laughs> and I'm feeling constantly. Oh, these people, they go into the holes. What can they expect? <laughs> Ooh, wow. <laughs> I mean, there's no more detail, though, that we need to know about it. It's, um, it's obviously horrific. No, there are... Um, I suppose the main thing is that um, now that the green cor the corridor is open, mm. they're all going uh, northwest mm. um, into uh, a city known as Zaporizhia, right. um, which is in the Ukraine-held region. And what was quite positive about this, yeah. um, which I took from it, is that some civilians that were taken out were taken to the Russia-held mm. Donbass region, yeah. but they were allowed to leave and go to the Ukrainian-held region. Oh, OK. So that is something positive to take a out of this situation. A slight improvement in terms of the, uh, yeah. the rules of engagement, yes. Mm. Uh, Diane, we stay with uh, Russia uh, now but, and the Ukrainian situation. Israel has summoned the Russian ambassador to explain himself, though uh, not, it seems, on the larger picture, but on quite some specific detail that they've taken exception to. This is quite interesting in a way. It is very interesting. So mm. Israel has summoned the Russian envoy mm. over the foreign minister's Hitler comments. Mm. So Sergei Lavrov... He's gone full Livingston. <laughs> he really has. Sir, Sergei Lavrov, uh, in an interview with Italian TV channel Mediaset, mm -hmm. uh, managed to state that... Um, he was talking about the, the denazification of Ukraine, yeah. which is their pretext for this whole horrible invasion mm -hmm. of the country. And um, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, managed to say that... Um, if he remembered correctly, and I may be wrong, he said. Yeah. Yep. Hitler also had Jewish blood. Well, and you, you have missed... A, you've missed a, just to intervene, but you've missed yes. a key stage. Somebody said to him, how can it be Nazified, Ukraine, when they have a Jewish prime minister? Because Vladimir Zelensky, Zelensky yeah, is Jewish. Jewish yeah. Yes, and so he then, he then he said, said that Hitler... Some of the Jews... Some of the, some of the worst anti-Semites in history have been Jewish, mm. and then gave us an example, Hitler, who he thought has Jewish blood in him. Which I do remember, not, not that I intend to... Uh, to exculpate this individual from this, these outrageous comments. I do remember that being a rumour when I... I don't know whether it's been ever completely denied, but that was, it, it was always suggested that he had a suspicion about himself. Yes. <laughs> because I think it was on his grandfather's side he had been a... Um, his, his, oh, no, his grandmother had been a maid in a big house that was... Uh, uh, she had been serving a, Jew, a wealthy Jewish family. Mm. And he had suspected uh, there was there were two sides. Possibly that he had felt humiliated that his that his uh, his German mother should be a, a servant to a Jewish family, mm. or possibly that his his German his grandmother had been, uh, you know. Uh, Yes. Seduced, let's yes. say, by the by, you know, which is what a popular country house type story, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so um, it doesn't come out of nowhere. That's all I'm saying. I don't yes. say that it's correct, but it is. A, it is. A, it's one of those persistent rumours. There's definitely some smoke connected to that yes. fire. Yeah. Do you know what I like about this? We've been doing this show for about 15 minutes, and we've already got onto the subject of Hitler. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he's never far away. No, it is quite rare, actually. I think it's yeah. the first time he's ever come up on. Well, this, this is what show. I bring to the show. Sign exactly, it. it's true. Yes. <laughs> so um, th this is. Obviously 
obviously sparked a massive diplomatic row with Israel, who mm. up until now have not come out against Russia. They no, haven't yes, imposed exactly. sanctions yeah. on Russia, nor have they delivered any arms to Ukraine. And they mm. have a lot of arms because obviously they get a lot mm. of their arms from uh, the US. Mm -hmm. So this is quite interesting that Sergei Lavrov has gone and really put his foot in it mm. um, with uh, the Jewish uh, peoples. And um, yeah, Lapid, Israel's foreign minister, um, has said that there is a limit and this time the limit has been crossed. That is quite an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? After all the atrocities of the last two months. What, what's yeah. your take on that, Francis? Well, it's interesting that we're talking about this and that we're focusing on this. And then the guy said, uh, I can't remember his name, that there, there is a limit and the limit has been crossed. I'm like, really? Yeah. Is that yeah. what we're picking out? Yeah. Is that yeah. what we're going with? Not, you know, the, the illegal invasion of another country, mm. tens of thousands of people being slaughtered, you know, crimes against humanity. No, the yeah. fact that we brought up Hitler in a discussion. Or even the fact, not even all those, but even by his own terms, it's, it's by far, it's not remotely the first time that they have raised uh, Nazism. Yeah. You know, that they yeah. have actively said yeah. these guys are literally Nazis. Yeah, you know, so they're, I mean, they're, they're quite like, woke people on Twitter, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. Did you just misgender Hitler? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, Tuesday's Telegraph now. It seems our hopes that the promise of a free flight to Rwanda had done the trick in uh, slowing down the migrant flow. That may have been premature, Diane. Yes. So more than 300 channel migrants have arrived in two days Despite Rwanda plans, says the Telegraph. Um, you see, um, what the government seem to be doing is uh, when the sea is calm mm -hmm. and uh, the boats cross, mm -hmm. uh, obviously then people get picked up. Now, when the seas are stormy and rough, mm. the Tories don't go, oh, the sea is rough, nobody's crossing. They go, look, our plan is working. They're uh, kind of taking credit for what yes. the weather does, which yeah. is novel. <laughs> uh, so... Well, it's interesting you say that. I think quite a few independent commentators were going, oh, I didn't think it would work, but it does seem to work. Funny enough, the, one, the first one who blew the whistle on the weather was uh, this channel's very own Nigel Farage, mm. who, if nothing else, is, is fairly well acquainted with Dover <laughs> <laughs> crossing uh, conditions and gets out there on his rib, you know, and, and beetles about um, with, his <laughs> with his mega... Rib, uh, inflatable, you know that? Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. I just it, didn't realise yeah. he had a rib. Well, no, it's what they call him, an inflatable dinghy. Yeah. But, yeah, he goes out there and, well, he, he broadcasts back to this channel. But he was the one who was saying this is nothing to do with Rwanda, this is to do with the strong northeasterlies, as it proves correct. So mm. I suppose back to the drawing board. But actually, they haven't actually brought it in yet anyway, so we don't know. I think it will take a few flights before it has any deterrent effect. I mean, they will actually probably have to see people... Being, yeah. being deported, it has otherwise to happen. they will think, yes. Because think this became law on Thursday, yeah. and so far we have 250 people, and by my calculations, that's maybe an Airbus A333-300. So, because you're thinking about it in terms of planes, yes. and, like, you're right, once the first planes take off, mm. that's then... That's when the really it starts, and yeah. that's when uh, the communication will flow back to everybody, and, and that's when it, the reality will hit home yes. of this is what they're going to do. They are remarkably clued up mm. as a rule, aren't they? The the migrants yeah. in the you know on the on the French. Well, the people traffickers. Yeah, well, yeah. them as well. But the word yeah. gets around extraordinarily quickly, yeah. and they are they are very good, I think, to be fair at filtering out bluster and PR mm. and, and getting down to, you know, brass tacks. What do you think? Well, I think it just shows how dreadful France is, Simon, that someone's willing to get on an inflatable dinghy, dinghy to get all the way over here. 
<laughs> Dreadful country. I've said it many times, and this is just ultimate proof for me. Yeah, it you is know? true. I feel bad for them because they've come through some of the world's loveliest places often, you know, Greece and Italy and so yeah. on, and then they get... They did have to go through Belgium, so... Yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it, for the, to say what would be... What's the point at which to stop? Well, we've all done it. We've all been in a casino. You're on yeah. a winning streak, and the next thing you know, you're bottomed out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think that the one point that's really important about this is that when people go, oh, we should just, you know, we should just let everybody in, and it's just like, well, what you're then in doing is incentivizing people traffickers, oh, and, they're and they're going to proliferate, and then what is going to happen is that more and more people are going to cross, and therefore more and more people are going to die. This is a situation that needs to be dealt with. Well, they'll, be, they'll die, and there will be another capsizing, I'm sure, in due course. But, and also, I think perhaps even arguably more importantly, um, you lose half the country, you know, mm. if not more. You know, a, yeah. a, a lot of people I know on the left who are very pro large-scale immigration, mass mm. immigration, but they say you, if you are pro-immigration, you have to be against the illegal of course. immigration, otherwise you, you undermine the whole project and yeah. everyone conflates it in their mind yeah. and can't see that there's any difference, you know. Yeah. And before you know it, there are, um, you know, people uh, hiring out gunships uh, that you can go out and have a day trip and, uh, you know... Sounds marvellous. I don't want to put uh, ideas in <laughs> Nigel's head. Guardian now, legal eagles to remain in their nest, Francis. In, but at a compromised pay arrangement. Indeed, this is a very interesting story, and I think this is going to show the way that we're all going to be moving forward as a society. Mm. Uh, Stevenson Harwood, uh, a very prestigious uh, law firm in London, or so I'm told. No, they, they are. Yep, yeah, they have given... This is, that is a man with a law degree. <laughs> uh, they have given their staff an offer. They say, you can work from home, but you've got to take a 20% Pay cut. Mm -hmm. So junior lawyers at the company have starting salaries of ninety thousand. That's too much. Uh, meaning anyone can take anyone. Starting take... salaries. That is pretty hefty, isn't it? Yeah, ninety grand. That is after a four, a three-year degree, and yeah. then and then one year at law school, and then selling your soul, and you get ninety grand. There we go. Any uh, me, meaning anyone taking up the offer, uh, the offer would lose eighteen thousand. So that's a set, it would go down from ninety to seventy-two thousand. Although realistically, of course, I mean, it depends exactly how they arrange their affairs, but um, that would all be taxed at forty percent. That twenty percent. So yeah. In fact, they lose roughly ten thousand. You know. But still, uh, roughly 8,000, sorry. It's still significant, but, it, um, you know, it might just uh, tempt them. Well, at least it feels like they've been given the choice. What do you think? Well, if they only lose 8,000, then according to my back of a fag packet maths... How many Airbus 3,000? <laughs> oh, no, train tickets. Oh, well, yeah. But yeah. still in the transport zone. You see, yeah. if they are not commuting in... I mean, I had a look, and mm. your, your season tickets range from anywhere between £1,908 all the way up to, oh, eye-watering £11,000 wow. for a train ticket. Now, add into what? that... Train ticket or season ticket? Season train ticket. So you commuting. Yeah, like an hour's long journey, like in from Brighton, that sort of thing. That's Something like that. Yeah. I basically looked at what was the most expensive, like, on record yeah. season ticket. Um, now, add into <laughs> that, yeah, you're just commuting from Paris. Yeah. Add into that your three coffees a day, and let's say that you've got a low budget for your sandwiches, so yeah. that will take you to another about two and a half grand. Yeah. So, it yeah. It could even out. On the other hand, without anyone supervising you, you do spend more money on Amazon, as well. Mm. You know, it goes <laughs> I mean, it's interesting from my point of view, stand-up comedian, I mean, all you guys, you know, it's not been quite the same sort of overhaul, has it, of our, of our live-work arrangements, mm. do you know what I mean? But I think some people have, have actually rediscovered 
the potential for a little bit of elbow room in their lives and they yeah. really don't want to give it up. It's quite interesting, you know. I think the thing is, is a good friend of mine who's ironically a lawyer said that before COVID that we had the worst of both worlds where we were, we were expected to do, you know, 60 hours in an office. Yeah. But at the same time, you were always on call. Yeah. You could yeah. be reached at any point with technology. Yeah. And now people have gone, well, look, if you want to reach me at any point and you can reach me, Mm. Then why not? Why would more? I be? Well, yeah, well, it's a very good point. Yeah. And yeah. Commuting is I very remember... bad for you psychologically. Oh, yeah. Well, but also mm. being on call at the weekend and everything. Mm. I, I noticed my wife works in PR mm. and I noticed that almost as soon as I married her, you know, you would get phone calls and, and emails and she would be checking her Blackberry as it then was in mm. 2001 or whatever, you know, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Crazy. So the reality is we're more connected than ever. Do we mm. actually need to be in the office? I would say one or two days a week. Exactly. I mean, that's got to be the obvious compromise, yeah. isn't it? You I would argue. A, yeah. Well, I would argue on what your industry is. Mm. I think that there are some industries where you need to have people there sandwich in the office. Making. You need to... Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Sandwich making, you want them there. Yeah. You want them focused. We don't want to have Zoom. too many cheese, too many ham. <laughs> yeah. You know, spread the workload. But yeah. there, there are some industries where being able to have flexible working makes a lot more sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I think... It's been long established, without banging on about this for too long, but it has been long established that it is crucial to mental health mm. and happiness that you feel, however delusory, you feel you have some control over your life. I think mm. that is a really... They, even they find that if, if old people are allowed to choose the pot plant that they have on their mantelpiece when they move into a care home, mm. it, it, they, they stay alive for another two years, no. you know. Mm. So be careful about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start anyway. picking the pot plant, Simon. <laughs> Tuesday's Telegraph, Diane, it seems... It seems that time has finally outrun even the speediest of little legs. Time has caught up with our greatest distance... I say our greatest distance runner. Well, I think The Telegraph have been incredibly unfair with this. So their title is Mo Farah's Elite Career in Tatters. Tatters. Following 10-kilometre defeat to unknown club runner. And I just think this is unnecessarily flamboyant with their language. I think it's very rude. I don't think Mo Farah's elite career is over at all. Do you know what it is? It's the beginning of the next step of Mo Farah. Right. That like all of our great athletes, what he will, could be a commentator. Yeah. He could be a coach. He could be anything. It's just, it's just the end of one phase of his life and the beginning of the next. Why have we got to be ageist about Remember. this? Especially? I mean, it is the end of his elite career, though, is it? No, no. <laughs> Tomorrow He's... is the first day of the end of your life. <laughs> no. Oh, you cynics. You awful cynics. I know. I think, it's, I think it is unnecessarily cruel. It, well, it's an attention-grabbing headline. But, yes, he's 39 years of age. Of course his elite career is over. Yeah. How many distance runners remain? absolutely in the first rank in their 40s. Yeah. None. That's yeah. surely established, isn't it? And I, I... Do you know what? I feel really happy You're lucky for... if you have two Olympics in you, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. No, well, that... I mean, Redgrave was a sitting down sport. He managed to get five and it was... That was absolutely steel-hard determined. Yeah. I mean, it's an obviously... A, and Mo, a Mo is four-time Olympic champion. Yeah. Four times. I know. I so, know. so, absolutely fantastic. I do not think that this is the last we shall see of him. And, um, like, the article says, if this is the end... It would mark a sad farewell. <sighs> it's like, Jesus, It's a lovely not, farewell. He's been beat by an amateur. He's had a lovely day out. It's yeah. perfect, you know. To be honest, if he carried on running well into his 40s, it would only reawaken certain accusations, wouldn't it? Yeah. You don't yeah. want to adhere to you in your, in your autumn of years, yeah. <laughs> I don't think. Good luck to you, Mo. I'm sure you will find 
all sorts of valuable sponsorship deals. Uh, probably like a stairlift or something. Granted, <laughs> <laughs> tech giant abuses monopoly powers. Surely not. This one, oh. The Guardian. Can we believe it that one a big tech company would abuse their powers? Yeah. So the EU have stepped in because they believe that Apple have been breaking competition law over contactless payment. So they've charged Apple with breaking competition law because what they do, every they've been accusing them of limiting rivals' access to technology when you're making a contactless payment, yeah. contactless payment, therefore creating a monopoly. And they've said that this is illegal and they are charging Apple as a result. So people have basically come up with apps which yeah. would be comp in competition with that and would probably use other mm -hmm. like other banks or whatever, and, and Apple have made it harder for them to do that. Is that, is that, is that the number? Yes, that is another yeah. bit. But this is where it gets really interesting because Apple could face fines worth up to 10% of its global revenue. Ooh, and they I mean, make... It's quite a lot. ...365 billion. What? Wow. That's like one billion for every year. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. every day. Every day. They make every a billion day. a day and they are... They're absurdly profitable. They're, they're actually unusual among the big five, aren't yeah. they, that they actually are worth the money that yeah. they're said to be worth. They're worth over a, worth two, trillion, two trillion now. I remember when they were all... It was, everyone was waiting to see who would become the first trillion yeah. dollar capital capitalised and, and now and they burst through it and carried on. Yeah. But they have been actually making money, unlike a lot of them who are just sort of building their uh, reputation. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And so this is a this is a real worry for them because if it goes through, mm. this is going to significantly hit their profits. I mean, you can't feel sorry for them really no. because ten percent of three hundred and sixty-five billion is still a decent day's wage, isn't it? I switched to iPhone at my, with my last phone about a couple of months ago. I've got it here, and I'm still actually. I don't like that, it, and it is that. It's that slightly enclosed and sort of, um, you know, patented... Everything is Apple. Everything is Apple, 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 Apple. Yeah. Whereas on my previous Android phone, I always felt there was a little bit of air. Do you know what I mean? There were mm. a few doors and windows open. A bit more fluidity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could go where you wanted with things, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I, no, I wouldn't weep for them. What do you think? I don't even like having contactless on your phone. That just feels wrong anyway. I mean, I think you it, can't... No, who can't be bothered to carry a couple of plastic cards with them. It's not... It it's does not a feel a little task, bit creepy, especially when yeah. sort of you look at your phone and, and it says, oh, would you like to pay with the card that ends in these numbers? And you go, yeah. I do not remember Telling keying those that. in. Yeah. Thanks. That's so glad right. you've picked that up. Yeah. Um, well, it's all to do with how Apple are also limiting... Um, they set the rules, this article says, about the near-field communication, yeah. which is what the apps use to, to help other people yeah, yeah. pay. And... That's just not on. I, so I agree, and there's all kinds of dangers of people walking up the escalator with a machine now, aren't there? Yeah. Sort of it. But I, I bought a, got a new, I say, new three-year-old car recently, and this has got one of these things where you keep the key in your pocket, and not only can you start the car, you can open the car door with the car in, with the key in your pocket. It knows that you're right there. Somebody's doing very well out of GB News. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. New iPhone, back. new I car. I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I've said too much. Independent now, Diane. The Santa Claus of war isn't real, it seems. Yes. So, um... 
the Ukraine. Ukraine admits that the ghost of Kyiv fighter pilot is a myth, and they have um, said this on their Facebook page. Now, the yeah. ghost of Kyiv was a brilliant morale-boosting story because obviously mm. uh, the Ukraine's air defenses are so much smaller than the Russian ones. So there was this idea that this uh, single solo Ukrainian fighter pilot downed 40 Russian aircraft. Of course, you're going to kind of let that fly, uh, literally, and, and, and it just filled everyone with so much hope. And they even sort of connected it to a real um, pilot, Major Stepan Tarabolka, uh, who died in combat mm -hmm. on the 13th of March. Uh, but now, uh, in the wake of uh, wanting to be hygienic with their information, ah. and those mm, are the that's words... That's an interesting word. Okay. Well, that is the words that they have used. Yeah. So, hygienic with their information, they have... Uh, Switched to truth-telling mode. Yes, and yes. I think that's because, obviously... Um, just like this was the first ever pandemic where we had the internet, this is this um, has been a war that has had the most media coverage, the most information flowing out of it, because you have obviously the propaganda flying mm -hmm. out of Russia. You have um, cyber disruptors, proper sort of fleets of people out there trying to pass all this false information around. So I think... Ukraine are taking basically you're, you're you were you're forgiving them for having created this uh, falsified pilot myth and of you're course. keeping your stack of coast of key fan fiction by your bed oh really. my god of course he's the, he's he's the picture <laughs> he's I you hero. know yeah. I sort of look at him before I go to sleep Tuesday's mirror and finally we get to that key word that allowed a Tory MP to confuse sexually explicit material NSFW with farm machinery Diane how <laughs> it sounded implausible but it turns out there is in fact a hinge word which explains everything oh oh yeah this totally explains a word everything. which of course we've all been waiting to hear from your lips I'm as going well. for it so Tory porn MP uh, this is the headline from the mirror was searching for dominator Combine harvesters, right. allies claim. Yes, it's the kind of tractor that rides you. And somehow he keyed in dominatrix, presumably, mm. instead, which is otherwise you wouldn't... I don't know, what well, would you get? Well, what's quite interesting is that we all know how algorithms work. Uh -huh. So, sir, if you're typing in dominator and the pornography pops up, sir, that means you've got a history of typing well, that I in. Know. I don't know, anyway. maybe, yeah. yeah. Suddenly all the men get very hesitant. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just know. I mean, I mean, also the class. Depends. The key one is BBC. If that yeah. just takes you to the state broadcast, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. You don't even know that. <laughs> <are you? laughs> okay. I do. I'm, 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 I'm just. I'm taking a moment. Yeah. Uh, for those of you watching uh, the repeat. Good morning. Um, the class dominator also is, in fact, a combine harvester. Yeah. It is not a tractor. No, but I think that is allowable. I mean, that element, I did see that and think, well, that's not exactly. But then people do use the word tractors to mean all kinds of mobile cars. Yes, but should the chair of the Environmental Select Committee confuse a combine harvester and a tractor, sir? It's a good job he's resigned already. Yeah. Isn't it? Otherwise, <laughs> it'd be annoying if he was to have to go on that technicality. But where are your sympathies on this front? I'm with Neil Parrish. He's a chairman of what, the Environmental Committee? Have you ever listened to people bang on about the yeah. environment? It gets really boring after a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much I'd rather you... listen to people bang. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and just after a while, you just think, no. So yeah. is that what we do? When we get bored, yeah. we don't listen. Yes. We just start looking at porn. Well, you know... <laughs>
All I'm saying is, he's a good man. He does a job that's very boring. He's going to mess up once but in a while. Was it? Can I? I never read it in the first place. Was he on the benches in the House of Commons? Was he literally in the, the famous chamber, or was he like in a? He was in the famous he, chamber. He was in the famous chamber. Yes. yes. That is. That defiles my. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a select committee meeting or something, possibly on a Zoom. Oh <laughs> uh, well, he's he's had his, his justice has been meted out. Tuesday's Independence. And Netflix have given up on Meghan Markle's pearl, Francis. Absolutely. So there we go. Another wonderful innuendo there. Thank you very much, Simon. We have reached that time of the evening. Uh, no, so uh, Meghan Markle created an animated series with Netflix called Pearl. Mm. And here it is. And uh, basically, it's a child series or children's series about a 12-year-old girl who's inspired by history's famous feminists. So it sounds rubbish, and it probably was rubbish. <laughs> Doesn't and, sound, yeah, yeah. sounds wonderful. It's no, just a shame. Sound, no, and I'll tell you why it sounds rubbish, right? Because nobody wants to hear a lecture, right? Yeah, when true. you watch a programme, what do you want? You want to be told a story. Mm. It doesn't matter who the story is about, but you want a story that actually engages you and takes you somewhere. You, you don't think these history's famous feminist women would have a story? No. Oh, they might, but <laughs> Pearl, Pearl being influenced by yeah, them. It doesn't, it wouldn't make it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be any more convinced if it was about a 12-year-old boy who was influenced by history's greatest warriors. I would, and that might be, you know, that would, you would think that would be my thing, yeah. but I still think that sounds rubbish. Yeah. Because you would just go, no, that's not how it works, you know. People don't, 12-year-olds don't read books and go, I'm going to be just like Marie Curie or whatever, you know. It's like, yeah. I mean, they maybe they do, but kids don't want to watch that stuff. As oh. a former teacher, I can tell you, they're just yeah. bullying, bullying each other on social media. Much That's what they interesting do. if a girl, 12-year-old girl, was influenced by history's greatest dinosaurs. Yeah. Now, now you're breaking through paper walls and crashing down glass ceilings left, right and centre. You're, you're in the middle of a glass swimming pool. Yeah. Right, okay. You understand so, how yeah, it works. Now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know, is there a portal involved? Like, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, so, does, so. She, does she become the dinosaur? <laughs> is this it? The portal is a, a bucket. I love it. So yeah. she stands in the bucket and she somehow gets transported to the if, Triassic if period. Megan had managed to do Harry's favourite... <laughs> do you know what? If Megan actually wrote that series that we just discussed... I think I'd... we should workshop it for her. Yeah, yeah. Number one, I'd, I'd think, I think she's nailing it. And number two, you know, <laughs> she's got a great dealer. She has um, <laughs> failed to deliver on her Spotify deal as well, uh, I believe. Yeah. yeah. It's full for the wheels are coming off the Megan wagon mm. pretty I... remarkably fast, to be honest. I, I think the problem is, as well, is that Netflix is going through hard times yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. They're losing millions upon millions of subscribers. They saw a real boom during the pandemic when yeah. everybody was literally at home all the time consuming content. Now that the world's starting to open up, more and more people have decided that they don't need a Netflix account, also the cost of living crisis. And as a result, they have to tighten their belts. And they've looked at this and gone, well, this is rubbish, and they're probably <laughs> right. <laughs> And talking of which, Guardian next time, Cinderella goes to the wall rather than the ball. Yes. So, well, I mean... I um, over-explained that pun. I that's all right, don't worry. So, um, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cinderella will close in the West End and um, it's actually going to go to America. Now, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber was not a Prince Charming in the way that he delivered mm. oh. this horrible news in that you have many actors who are getting very excited and go, I'm going to be part of the cast of Cinderella. They found out in a tweet. Wow. They found out online mm. in, a, in, in, in a publicly made tweet that suddenly the job that they thought they had 
they're not going to have anymore. So, sorry, this was this a new cast? It's been on for a year, right? Was yeah. this the new cast? Yeah. It was going to turn evil and instead he just went, that's it, it's ending. Yeah, and instead yeah. he's just ending it and he's yeah. um, going to take it to Broadway in 2023. And this is, I mean, it's been sort of plagued with problems because it literally, he, he's been trying to launch it repeatedly through the COVID pandemic, mm, repeatedly right. through lockdown. Yeah. And this has led um, Andrew Lloyd Webber to make lots of uh, angry anti-government statements about it. I have to say, I don't know what your, 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 uh, your antenna will prick up here, Francis, mm. but apparently it's quite a woke uh, rewriting as well. It's a reimagining of the story and it concerns itself largely with beauty shamings. The, 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 the ugly sisters are actually gorgeous and yeah. Cinderella is, oh, she's pretty good looking, to be honest, but mm. she's unconventional. She's carrying an extra couple of pounds, I think, or something. You're supposed to think, oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, the, the ugly sisters are more conventionally attractive than Cinderella in this. So it's more about Cinderella saying, take me for what I am and I'm not going to, like, you know, uh, try and play up to your patriarchal ideals of Western beauty. Well, that's not going to work on Tinder, well, exactly, is exactly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I am utterly confused. Something... This does not sound like Cinderella at all. No, exactly. I think they've messed with the winner. Anyway, <laughs> mirror now, Francis. Uh, Amber, to, uh, Amber Heard. <laughs> <laughs> Over bad PR. Yes. How can that have happened? So, Amber Heard, all-round uh, top lady and uh, just a, just an all-round good egg with uh, no... Good, good egg, good dog's egg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no dodginess in her past or allegations or abuse. Has somehow uh, attracted all sorts of bad publicity. It's yes. weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. What, what are you going to do? She's fired her whole PR team after being upset by bad headlines. So they've, she's gone to court with Johnny Depp and the truth has now come out. Turns out she's not a very nice person. You know, she pled the victim and mm. now we're actually... everybody's the, Everybody around the world is seeing this person for who they truly are. She's got a bit annoyed about it. <laughs> she can't blame herself because why would you do that? So... Blame your PR team. It's classic Hitler in the bunker stuff, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Back downfall. to Hitler. It's downfall all over again. Everyone wow. except my three favourite PR <laughs> advisors lead the room. <laughs> wow, that, yeah. that's quite amazing. You've yeah, just got to get that from anywhere. Yeah. I said six degrees of Hitler. <laughs> I don't need six. Do you know what? That's but exactly been... what woke comedians are saying about this very channel. <laughs> <laughs> it has been interesting to see how this has played out because, I mean, there have been at least two elements of it that have struck me. One is I always thought Johnny Depp had a charmed life. I assumed his life was as amazing, gilded, beautiful, elegant, desirable, mm. off-screen as it was. And it turns out he's been living th through a pretty close approximation of hell for some time. Mm. And yeah. I think because people, they don't just like Johnny Depp as an actor, he's kind of emblematic of a certain kind of, mm. you know, his, his balance of art house movies and his, his Jack Sparrow big earners. He was kind of the ideal for a certain generation. Mm. You know, I don't think she is going to walk away from this with very much intact at all. She really shouldn't. And what's interesting is the way that um, the behaviour of their legal teams is echoing the behaviour of the stars themselves. Yeah. In that when Johnny took the stand, you see, Amber hasn't taken the stand yet, but Johnny took the stand and her legal team repeatedly shut him down. They wouldn't let him get a single sentence out without objection, hearsay, objection, hearsay. Yeah. It's become, it's it's trended, it's memed, it's, there's videos everywhere, and it just 
gives you the impression that if that's what Amber's legal team are like, that's what she's been like. She's stifled him this whole time. That's a very interesting observation. Mm. It's so interesting. I'm not going to attempt to respond to that. <laughs> no, genuinely, I think that, that is, that's one to have a ponder about. The Guardian has an explanation finally for the sickening immoral behaviour of Orthodox Kiwis. <laughs> <laughs> So a rare, wicked Bible that encourages adultery, I think that's a bit strong, has been discovered in New Zealand. So the 1631 wicked Bible... Wow, 1631. 1631. There are only 20 copies in existence, and they are very, they are very rarely, if never, found in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh. One has been found in New Zealand. And what makes it wicked? In the Seven Commandments, they literally omit the word not in thou shalt not commit adultery, they've managed to omit it. So it just says thou shalt commit adultery. I think encourages adultery is a fair description of that. <laughs> yeah. Shalt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me a little bit of autocorrect, which, but in the other way round, which is always changing positives to negatives in my tweets and texts. Like when, so like, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, 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 I might send somebody a message saying, um, sorry, I can't be there, but I've been thinking about you a lot lately. And it will change it to, I haven't been thinking a lot. <laughs> 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 deliberately attended to sort of great discord. But this is extraordinary. So can I just, that would be a King James version then? I, uh, no, King so. Charles I. Okay, but yeah. but printed under that, but he didn't oh, order sorry, a revision, yes. so it is a, a, a KJV. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah. Is like, this they were hauled be before the court. Valuable. Yeah. Very valuable. It's like the, well, the, the, the most valuable stamps are the ones that have... Mm. Go and commit adultery. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a little perforation error. Any thoughts on this, Francis? Uh... Not really. I mean, it just shows, I mean, how boring New Zealand must be. <laughs> <laughs> and in further sickening immoral behaviour yeah. news, Francis, yes. incest still legal in surprisingly large parts of the world. Francis implicated. I mean, nobody's surprised by that, are they? No. No. I mean, you look at the countries that are involved, you see France joined Spain and Portugal as the only uh, European countries without legislation, and you think, well... This is why we voted Brexit. It is partly, isn't it? Yeah. Do you so, remember uh, Serge Gainsbourg actually had a song celebrating incest with his daughter Charlotte Gainsbourg? They made a video of it, 1984. It's called Lemon Incest, which apparently works as a pun. In uh, it, it's it, the French for lemon zest sounds a lot like lemon incest. Yeah. In French, and they thought, oh, that's a good pun. Let's make a four-minute pop song about it. Well, that's the French for you, isn't yeah. it? What? There is something here. No! <laughs> we have a map where we can have a look. Apparently there's a map. Wait, there you go. And now the interesting thing about this is that you would assume the red meant incest is bad yeah. and the yellow meant incest is good and the grey was indifferent. But actually the grey is... Those are the places where incest is banned. Mm. It's an odd... Um, but anyway, if you look at Britain, it's banned there, but it, it doesn't seem to be banned in Ireland. Is that just my eyesight? No, no, it's not. No, it's... Um, weird, isn't it? Yes. Uh, no, it's not, it's, it's not banned in Ireland. There is... There is I can't remember. There's, uh, uh, there is some kind of law which is... But a different law. Yeah, different law. Yeah. But my favourite ones are uh, Italy. It's only illegal if it brings if it provokes a public scandal. Oh well, I like that. Yes. That sounds quite archaic. Like they probably just haven't had to bother updating it lately. But then you think about it. Everything provokes a public scandal in Italy, doesn't it? <laughs> Silvio Berlusconi, five foot four. Yes. It's <laughs> a great point. Still... And also as well, just a minor tra traffic infringement yes. provokes a public scandal. People. <laughs> Yes. People coming out of their cars. That's and in, in New Jersey, incestuous relationships are tolerated 
as long as both parties are at least 12 years old. There are some countries as well, I've noticed, where... Uh, and this is at least a rational, uh, you know, uh, response, I suppose. It's, it's fine if if it's same-sex relationships. Mm. Because, of course, the danger of incest is, is that the, uh, the, the issue of, mm. of, uh, of such union often uh, comes out a bit out of, out of you know, you know, out of kilter. You know what I'm thinking, Simon? Yeah. How are you going to bring this back to Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's been implicit throughout. <laughs> Telegraph now, Diane, and it turns out Jimmy Cagney was right all along. Ooh, <laughs> dirty rat. It turns out he was wrong, I should say. Sorry. Yes, he yeah. was wrong. So uh, the Telegraph has said why rats don't deserve their dirty reputation according to scientists. So often we, you know, we assume that rats are, uh, I mean, they are, they're a vector of disease. And uh, we assume that in sort of urban populations, the rats carry more uh, things mm. that might transmit to humans. Uh, but it turns out that researchers spotted that um, in the available scientific research, they were actually studying urban animals a hundred times more than they were studying rural animals. Wow. And because they were studying them so much more, yeah. of course it said, oh, well, clearly, you know, um, yeah. we found so many diseased animals uh, in urban cities. But it turns out they're no worse no. than their rural, cute little country, country mouse, mouse yeah. counterparts. Statistical artefacts. How yeah. often do we... This is a, a familiar thing to your uh, your podcast kind of <laughs> discussion. So I do think, though, it's sometimes interesting with these studies. I'm sure it is worthwhile. And I, and I saw they were saying pigeons also are not that bad. Mm. But you can't help feeling that... Um, our guts are still telling us yeah. rats and pigeons, don't get too close, don't fondle, not good pets. You know, mm. we're probably well, right on that, aren't we? Mm. No, we're definitely right. And what they did actually say was all animals have diseases. It's the way we interact with them yeah. that actually determines what risk they pose to us. How do you interact with rats, Francis? For, uh, well, yeah, it depends on the rat, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the interesting thing... Uh, uh, well, Feed the rats. <laughs> on, on, my, on my show, we actually interviewed one of the world's premier expert on rats. Did I was going to thought, I really hoped you were going to say rats, then, yeah. but, but an expert on rats. Yeah, rats an expert, rats, yeah, 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 we actually got right. No, and uh, well, well, I'm afraid that's all we have time <laughs> for. So sorry. Thank you to my guests, Diana <laughs> Francis. I've been Simon Evans. Join us tomorrow night. Dominic Frisbee will be in the chair. Good night. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 